Hi, I'm Randy. And I'm Claire. And you're listening to the longest episode of Killer Vibes <laughs> ever. <laughs> and we're a true crime podcast. <laughs> um, so as Randy mentioned, we're it's a really long one, but we're talking about famous serial killer Ted Bundy. So I did a lot of research on it and I'm doing a very in-depth look. So thanks for hanging in if you are still hanging in. And if you listened to the last episode, we just finished off with the autopsy of Lisa Levy's body, where there's a double bite impression on her body, which would be essential in the trial that is to come here in uh, in Florida. So just so everyone knows, Bundy is not on anyone's mind in Florida. Like, he's not even known in Florida. People don't know who he is. He's mostly active on the West Coast, so that's where all of the focus is at. Police are actually not even looking for him anywhere other than the West Coast. And there's also, like, this point in time where Bundy would call Anne Rule in prison and ask her what her address is in Los Angeles because she had a house down there. And so they were looking around in Los Angeles for him. So nobody was thinking about Florida at all. And when the attack happens, Bundy had been missing for 16 days. So that's probably really stressful. But yeah, so after all of these gruesome, this gruesome attack on the night of terror, Bundy literally like goes back to his apartment. He even talks to the people who live in the apartment complex who know him about the murders. He's like, you got to be careful out there, et cetera, et cetera. Weird. I know. Just he, goes home. Yeah, like, exactly. Like, Produ- oh, productive night. It's fine. We had, a, we had a good time. And it's not until almost like a month later that he would do something else. So Leslie Ann Paramenter... I hope I'm saying that right, or Pementor or something, or Parmenter. I don't know. Um, Leslie (laughs) was 14 in 1978. She was leaving school on February 8th and was going to wait for her brother to pick her up. She was the daughter of the Jacksonville police chief and was super cautious. So when a weird guy in a white van approached her saying he was from the fire department and asked if she was waiting for someone and I and he thought that she was the person that that he was looking for and she was like super uncomfy and didn't say anything to him like she didn't even acknowledge him Good she was her. like uh uh-uh, uh you're not in a even van to you. and nope, I don't nope, talk nope. to people in vans exactly so she just ignores him and this is like thank god but um her brother would drive up at this exact moment and demand that she get into the car and he gets out of his vehicle and confronts Bundy and he's like what are you doing with my little sister and he gets Bundy gets so terrified that he like backs up and goes into his car and he's like nothing 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 and like rolls up the window and her brother's name is Danny so God bless Danny for this but he follows Bundy's car (gasps) and gets the license plate from the vehicle which would also be essential in this case these kids parents were like yes total so true proud. crime fans yeah, yeah absolutely <laughs> they were like um preparing them <laughs> right if i was the police chief i would be so proud so he gets the license plate unfortunately he loses the car in a massive traffic but he does have that so that's like a really key piece of evidence now the reason why that's a key piece of evidence is that the day after the attacks um at the Kai Omega house and the duplex The person who was living behind the duplex noticed a license plate tag. So like the sticker you put on your license plate. And it was just 
behind the duplex for some reason and it had the number on it and so he picked it up and was like this is weird and he turned it into the police so that if someone was had like reported missing a tag they could come and get it and the police had the license plate number and realized that it was from it was a stolen like I think they'd realized at this point that it was a stolen plate I don't remember if it was now that they realized it or later but eventually it would come to be that 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 plate, the plate itself had been stolen off of a car and had been put on the white van that Ted Bundy was driving. So he had like kind of tried to be clever and like stole a plate and then stuck it on another car that he had stolen. Mm -hmm. So it would like throw off anyone who was like, oh, it's a white van, but it's not the right plates. Yeah. Um, So (laughs) that is kind of smart, actually. It is kind of smart. But the owner of the, um, actual like license plate would be looked into and the guy would be like no I I like that's not what no I didn't wasn't even there that night yeah. um my plate has been stolen like the plate off of my car was taken so uh, I don't know what to tell you so yeah so that would be a huge deal too on February 9th a day after Leslie had been approached by a weird guy 12-year-old Kimberly Leach was at school during the first part of the day. Her teacher had seen her during roll call, but before P.E., Kim left her bag in her homeroom, so she went to go grab it. Her friend, who would try to catch up with her, saw her talking to a tall man next to a white van. And just like that, Kim was gone. So her friend saw her with this guy in the van, this little girl who was like probably... 12 or 13 as well. Didn't remember if she saw Kim in the car or outside of the car, but she would never see Kim again after this. So Kimberly would be Bundy's last official victim. While he was driving off with Kim in his car, a few people saw him doing that. And it would be Leslie's dad, the police chief, who would make the connection between the weird incident with his daughter and the disappearance of Kim. Plus, they had the license plate number. Wait, wait, wait. Um, Leslie's dad's a police chief? Yeah. I said that. The girl, the 14-year-old who was almost abducted. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I just, I don't think I connected that in my oh, head. No, okay. I was like, oh my gosh, that's, yeah, I that's I why she that. was like, yeah, um, no. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I said that. <laughs> I'm sure you did. I just didn't no, that's okay. connect it in my head. Um, yeah. So she's the daughter of a police chief, obviously very aware. And he would make the connection between the two incidences and then also realized the thing about the license plate. In addition to that, the white van that was reported stolen was actually parked by the car where the license plate had been taken for a large amount of time. So the two vehicles were placed next to each other for a period of time, and they were both located uh, or seen to be located in um, all of these different incidences. In addition to that, the police got a sketch from Leslie the, the mm-hmm. police chief's daughter, and Kim's friend who saw her with this weird guy. And Bundy would actually abandon the white van later, and it was found by police. Police found a few bloodstains in the carpet belonging to someone with B blood type. There was also dirt all over the place, and it kind of looked like there had been something inside the vehicle and had been dragged out of it through the dirt. 
Which, I mean, like, it's a moving car that can happen with anything, but they did conclusively believe that there was some sort of body that was placed in the back of the vehicle. In addition to that, weirdly enough, the, like, most damning piece of evidence was two separate price tags from a place called Green Acre Sporting Goods for $24 and then one for $26. So after he abandons this vehicle, Bundy steals an orange Volkswagen bug on February. Of course he does. On February 14th, and he makes an illegal U-turn in the car, which made patrolman David Lee follow the vehicle. The search of the plates found that it had been stolen, and he flipped on his lights. If you're having deja vu, that's because this is exactly almost kind of what happened in Utah. <laughs> exactly, um, almost kind of. Yeah. So he orders Bundy out of the car and onto the ground because he's dealing with a thief, and he knows that he knows this. So a little fight ensues between the two of them, and David would kind of like secure. Bundy and like beat him up a little bit like in his booking photos there's a scrape on his face and I love seeing that scrape on his stupid face so he had no idea who this person was he just thought he caught a car thief he didn't even realize that he had literally apprehended one of the men on the FBI's 10 most wanted list yeah so it's just the luck is running out for Mr. Bundy here thank (laughs) you God So Bundy would say to David on the way to the station, I wish you had killed me because David had pointed a gun at Bundy and had fired a shot. And uh, was he like seriously trying to get away? Yeah. Because like he hated being in prison. So Bundy didn't want to go back to prison. He like felt so isolated in there and like claustrophobic. And it was just not he would be. Well, it's not a fun time. Yeah, No, prison's not fun. You don't want to go to prison. Nobody wants to go to prison. So he like clearly was like suffering from an intense dissociative disorder, dealing with a lot of different things. He wanted to be a free man. He just wanted to like live his life and murder people. It's his favorite hobby. Yeah, it's his favorite. It's so (laughs) gross. But yeah, so I felt bad for him for like two seconds when I learned that that was a statement he made because I would, I mean, I always feel bad for someone who feels like. They just want to die. That's a terrible feeling to have. So I felt bad for him. But then I stopped feeling bad for him when he was booked in the police station and said that his name was Kenneth Meisner. And I was like, you okay?" So there you go. And of course, they would put Kenneth Meisner's name down and they would actually find out that the real Kenneth Meisner was not this person. And Bundy would like insist for days that he was Kenneth Meisner because obviously if he had given out his real name, it would bring down all of these things from um, all of these previous arrests from Utah, Colorado, Washington, all this stuff. So it wasn't until the 16th of February that news had spread and they figured out who they actually had in custody. They had Ted Bundy in custody. <laughs> and after that... And they threw a party. Yeah, I would throw a party. So when they figured this out, they kind of interrogated him for three days and they recorded a lot of this interrogation. Unfortunately... The tapes were not allowed to be included in evidence. So all of the tapes kind of are like insignificant. But detectives would come forward and talk about what Bundy was saying in the interrogations. And he would say some weird stuff. Like he told 
police that he was a voyeur and that he was a peeping Tom and he loved doing that stuff. He would also insinuate that he had killed all of the the women in Washington, but would keep saying, I don't want to lie to you, so stop asking me if I did it. So I think that's a pretty good clue that he was probably... (laughs) <laughs> trying to say, yes, I did it, but don't ask me because I'll I'll have to lie to you. One investigator would ask if he was involved um, with any of the suspected, and at this point it was 36 murders were suspected before they whittled the number, number down in his confession tapes. Um, so he asked if he was involved with any of these 36 murders, and Bundy would say, add one more digit to that and you have it. Oh, yeah. So I remember that is such a weird thing because it could be like, what what yeah like, it could what be is, like a what zero is <laughs> at the end or a one at the beginning like it could be yeah. anything or um, just like a change that six to a seven yes like, exactly I mean it means so many things <laughs> I know so that's the first time police start to think he's killed way more people than we actually think he has I'm sure he did oh I'm 100% sure that he killed yeah. more women I mean I like already tons. like there was another woman that I found in addition to the 30 he confessed to mm-hmm so yeah, and there's actually a really great episode that the podcast Crime Junkie does mm-hmm. on like potential Bundy victims too. Yeah, so that was a lot really of good. people have speculated about tons of people. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I mean like all of the missing women's cases during that time period in all of those different states. I'm sure people are like. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe she was a Bundy victim, you yeah. know? Yeah, I mean, we've got an Israel Keys situation yes, on our hands. Yes, we really do, which is why we shouldn't have executed him, but okay. This is, and I just thought this was interesting. They would also figure out why Bundy loved taking Volkswagens, and he said, because you can take out the front seats. I was thinking that a second yeah. ago. I was like, maybe it is just super easy to take the seat out. And- yeah, so that's why he would take the, that particular car. Maybe um, he has good gas mileage. I don't know. <laughs> um, I think he also said something like that to the effect of like, I mean, sure, it has it would. good gas mileage and you can take the seat out. It's tiny and he has to drive everywhere. Yeah, exactly. Again, these are all statements that the officers relayed um, after the fact. So they aren't actually recordings. I, I don't know what happened to the recordings, but they're not accessible. So he would also start to reveal to some of the officers the fact that he almost had a multiple personality disorder. So I kind of mentioned it before, but like he would say he had like an an attorney version of himself. So he would make statements that were just really odd like that. And um, he said that he couldn't speak with his attorney because he would go into his attorney personality and wouldn't tell the truth. So for these three days, he's interrogated without an attorney present and he he is okay with that. It's it's just odd. And I read an article by Psychology Today that is called The Bundy Effect. And it's basically talking about how people can kind of be chameleon-like and they can change their personalities to fit each situation. So I don't even know if he's telling the truth here. Um, and we may never know because we killed him. Sorry, I'm so sour about that. I really don't like the fact that we executed him. I think, I think that was a stupid choice. But anyway. So... The Bundy effect is also related to the chameleon effect where people can just like change their personalities and appearances at will to sort of fit what society would deem to be perfect for certain situations, Mm -hmm. which makes him really, really hard to interrogate because you never know if he's telling the truth. So while Bundy is in prison on April 7th in 1978, Kim's body would be discovered in a pig pen. The decomposition was really bad, but it looked like she had been strangled to death and there was evidence of sexual assault. 
They discovered that Kim had type B blood type, um, the same that was in the carpet in the white van that Bundy stole. And semen samples on the underwear found at the scene were from a man with type O blood, and he was a secretor, which we have talked about in a previous episode, I believe, just about how your blood type can secrete out into your um, other bodily fluids Mm -hmm. and about like 85% of the population are secretors and then the rest are non-secretors, which basically means if you were to test saliva samples, the blood type wouldn't be in that saliva sample. Yeah, or any body fluid. Yeah, yeah. so like you couldn't test the semen to see what type of blood type it was. But obviously they found that it was typo, so he was a secretor. Both of those would fit Bundy's profile. He would also be tied to the location of the abduction through those tags that I talked about. And a store clerk recognized Bundy and said that he sold him a hunting knife and had marked it up from $24 to $26. So that's why there were two tags in the car. Mm. Also, he bought gas nearby. On July 27, 1978, he was formally charged with the murders of Lisa Levy and Margaret Bowman. So on July 31st, when Bundy officially said he was not guilty in front of a judge, he also was read the indictment for the murder of Kimberly Ann Leach. So he now has to face two murder trials in Florida. There was some speculation that Bundy was actually given the option if he had if he pled guilty to the charges that he would avoid the death penalty, but he like doesn't do this. <laughs> and the trial for the murders of Margaret Bowman and Lisa Levy and the attempted murders of Cheryl, Karen and Kathy took place a year after his indictment had been read in July of 1979. So the trial is really long and I just picked <laughs> out some highlights that we can talk about. One of the I think one of the most poignant aspects of the trial is the testimony of the survivors of the Chi Omega house, in addition to the testimony of Cheryl Thomas and Carol Durant. So she was actually brought in from Utah to talk about her attack, um, which Bundy was convicted of. So each of them were really poised and... All of them took the stand, despite the fact that Karen, Kathy, and Cheryl didn't even remember what happened to them. And it had only been like a year since they had dealt with all of these um, attacks. And they were like completely healed. They all looked freaking fabulous. And they just took the stand with confidence. And of course, Nita would be the most provoking testimony and it would make her positive ID of Bundy in the courtroom. And we have her famously pointing him out to um, the court. So if you wanted to watch any of those, again, everything was recorded. So you can just do that. That's so great for them. I know, right? So the second thing was that Bundy was allowed to represent himself. And in that, he had a very intense cross-examination of one of the officers who was on scene in the Chi Omega house. Bundy, like, complains about his counsel and his attorneys a lot. And eventually the judge just says, you can just represent yourself. And Judge Edward Cowart is his name. He allows Bundy to cross-examine this witness and lets him ask very detailed questions about the crime scene, including all these, like, really horrific details that just don't need to be said That's not even during helpful the trial. for you. No, exactly. <laughs> so it's really horrible to listen to him ask all of these questions. Again, you can watch all of the videos of this online if you want to. I get really <laughs> mad because... 
he thinks he's a lawyer and he didn't even complete his first year of law school. And so it's like he's parading around the courtroom as if he was defending someone, some assailant. And he uses his name in third person. So he always would yeah. refer to himself as <laughs> so annoying. So you knew Mr. Bundy when, etc. So it's really interesting to see him do that. And then the third thing that's really cool is that the case was basically like it, it was basically decided when the prosecution brought forth a a dentist to the stand. So Bundy would be ordered to have casts made of his teeth because of the bite marks on Lisa's body. So Dr. Richard um, Savorian, I think, uh, had the judge serve a warrant for casts of Bundy's teeth. Yeah, there's actually like a lot of contested. Opinions mm-hmm. out there about, about the validity yeah. of bite mark evidence, but mm-hmm. cool. Yeah, right. And <laughs> so cool. The thing that would make that really impactful was there was a very definitive like chip in Bundy's front tooth. And so that would showcase in the bite mark pattern, according to the expert. And Bundy tried to attempt to say that the chip hadn't occurred until. After, like after he was arrested in Florida, but that didn't hold up either. Well, I mean, they don't really need that evidence. They have so much more. Exactly. If it were like the only piece of evidence, I would be a yeah. little annoyed with it. But it's just exactly. kind of adding to all the other right things. Exactly. And they obviously have the forensic evidence um, with the nylon stocking and yeah. the two hairs that were in it. So there are a lot of things that are presented the in blood this case. In his van. Yes, There's a lot. Exactly. Well, that one would be the trial for Kimberly oh, yeah, Leach. Yeah, yeah. So that's not this one. Um, but that would be essential in the next one. The trial went on for a full month and after a six hour deliberation by the jury, which I think is a pretty like it seems long, but for a month long trial, that's really for any short. trial, honestly. Was he representing himself when the victims did their testimony? Like, did he no. cross-examine them? No. Okay. So he would not speak to the victims in any capacity. The people he would cross-examine would be all of the police officers that arrived on scene. At least the the um, really gross parts when he would ask about the bloodstains and gross mm-hmm. stuff. Um, but no, he did not question any of the women, um, which is probably smart because... He shouldn't be allowed to do that. They're the victims of this attack. Anyway, um, but no, he didn't do that. He had a counsel at that point. He had two attorneys. Mm-hmm. One of them was a female. Um, the other one was, uh, I think his name was Mike. And Mike actually like totally thought that he was guilty. So I actually don't blame Bundy for wanting to get rid of him. Yeah. Um, because if you are going to have a defense attorney who thinks you're guilty, that they're not going to do their job properly. Well, I mean, I feel like um, or if tons there was, like, of some sort of doubt casted. Well, obviously, tons of them know that their clients are guilty, but still, yeah. But like, you still have, yeah, yeah, the right to counsel, counsel so yeah. effective counsel. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if he didn't think it was effective, that's his right to to deny to that. Say yeah. no. So the verdict was served after a full month and then the six-hour deliberation. And on July 24th, 1979, the jury found Theodore Robert Bundy guilty of the murders of Margaret Bowman and Lisa Levy and sentenced him to death by the electric chair. So this sentencing would take a minute to be ruled out. And Judge Cowart, despite his little man crush that he had on Bundy, he would allow for some character testimonies before the sentencing was dealt out. And after all of that happened, and even though Cowart like respected Bundy and like was upset that he wasn't a lawyer, he said that Bundy would receive the death penalty and agreed with the sentencing of the jury. And at the end, when he actually sentenced him, he famously would say, take care of yourself after sentencing Bundy to death. 
So that's interesting. Have uh, you a question? Yes. Have you made your... Okay, so I know last time we talked about death penalty, you were like, mm-hmm. I can think of on like 1% of the time it's... Yeah. Have you now changed? I think I have. And I think Yay, it's, I like that. Yeah, and it's interesting because I really like, if I didn't know anything about this case, I immediately would have been like, yeah, he totally, this is fine. But because of all of the confessions and the fact that there are like more cases that are connected with him that we don't know anything about... I'm really frustrated that that's what happened. And then also Um, he has some very intense psychological issues that we can learn a lot from. And also something is obviously seriously wrong with him. Mm -hmm. And that that deserves to be addressed as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So he cool. um, So you're like 100 percent. No death penalty now. Yes. Cool. Yes. Yes. Very positively. So, yeah. So that's going to be the end of this episode. And the next one, we're going to talk about the following trial and a little bit about a um, weird trial proposal, which happens. So you probably already know what I'm talking about. But anyway, if you want to hear our lengthy discussion about the death penalty and just kind of our thoughts on it in general, Mm -hmm. it's in the Kenya Monhe episode, which is the first episode ever. (laughs) Thanks Thanks for for listening. listening. Bye.